welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here's your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I am your host, Red That Great Theme Music, by Roger Gregg of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. Well, it is now December in my household, at least that means we've dragged up the Christmas boxes from the basement, we've decked the halls, we've been watching things speed up and avoiding the malls like crazy because we hate the place <clears throat> and uh, watch as it goes full kilter towards the big eggnog and cookie bash held at the end of this month and all the parties in between then. Yes, it is the holiday season and we'll loathe it or love it. We'll be spinning tales of the season from now until the new year. Um, and for all of you Grinches out there, let me say that you will hear holidays a little bit bent here on Radio Drama Revival, so um, be advised. We'll be giving up the saccharine instead, looking for stories that expose the strangeness and even maybe the trauma the holiday subjects us to. Modern tales for adults um, about what you know, what Christmas might be, what we think it is, what how it changes us. And uh, you know, as much as this is a time for reflection and sharing among loved ones, it's also a time when expectations are heightened and everyone's trying to go nuts, uh, making this event be like what they think it's supposed to be, maybe from television or from Christmas is past. And even if that's not really life is, it uh, drives us crazy, not to mention the fact that all of our families in one place and there's alcohol involved and, you know, the shopping malls too. You know, this is the one place we can hide and there will be no HD here. All right. Uh, anyways, on that note, uh, we're starting today with a work from Chatterbox Audio Theater. Heard them numerous times on the show. They're one of the true treasures of modern audio drama. And it, I am really pleased to um, uh, to feature this one. It's an original penned by Bob Arnold, who proves that he's got some hell of a good writing chops, in addition to being a great head bottle washer over there at Chatterbox. Um, so from sunny Memphis, we have a story of um, of Christmas. It's a two-parter. We'll be hearing the first installment this week about uh, strange children and um, mystery and the wonder and beyond. It's called Snow Globe, two parts. First one today for Chatterbox Audio Theater. Enjoy. What I remember most about the Christmases of my youth is an overwhelming sense of promise, of, of possibility. It was as though all the greeting cards, seasonal songs, and television commercials in the world had gotten together in secret and decided to pull one over on me. They assured me that magic was in the air, the, the flower of human kindness was finally in season and would soon blossom spectacularly. My expectations thus primed, I spent hours and hours each December nervously anticipating the momentous and miraculous things that were bound to happen. As the unhappy child of an unhappy marriage, I may have been more susceptible to this fantasy than most. Naturally, once the dishes were washed and the presents put away, my hopes always dissipated, quietly but noticeably, like the melting of snow, gone until the following winter when some upbeat jingle or glittering ornament would catch my attention and ignite my imagination all over again. And now, having long since outgrown these childish expectations— it would appear that something genuinely momentous is happening. On a Christmas Eve, decades away from those of my childhood, I find myself once again filled with a sense of nervous anticipation. It seems that a long-forgotten debt may finally be paid off, that I may actually collect on the promise of a miracle, because I've been summoned in a way. And after all this time, I'm finally going home.
Chatterbox Audio Theater presents Snow Globe, an original production written by Robert Arnold. Act One. said yeah. Yeah? Yeah what? Yeah, you're ready, or yeah, I'm putting on my makeup. Both, I guess. Well, I know I'm putting on my makeup. I don't need you to tell me that. Bess, I was watching that. I asked you if you were ready to go. <sighs> I'm ready, darling. Larry, put a smile on your face. It's Christmas Eve, the most magical time of the year. I thought we agreed you weren't going to wear that sweater. This is a different sweater. Well, it looks exactly like the last one. I think you should change, don't you? It makes you look frumpy. How do you know it's a sweater's fault? What if it's me who's frumpy? Oh, Larry. Oh, besides, all my sweaters look like this. All of them? How is that possible? Do you shop exclusively at some frumpy sweater emporium? Do you restrict yourself to sweaters from the same frumpy factory? I found a sale. I bought the same sweater in a bunch of different colors. You're joking. Oh, you poor dear. You weren't thinking straight. You must have been reeling from some life tragedy or other. No, I just like the sweaters. Nobody else has seemed bothered by it up to now. Oh, Larry, reeling and not even aware of it. When I think of what your life must have been like before you met me, why, it makes me positively weepy. Inside, that is. Anyway, if you're going to change, do it quickly. Your clothes, I mean. I've given up in every other respect. <laughs> the Fredericksons will be here any minute to pick us up. Oh, see, there they are now, Larry. Will you get it? If it's the Fredericksons, tell them I'm just finishing with my makeup. If it's anyone else, tell them I'm not here. We don't want to get stuck forever talking to some weird religious people or something. There's no time for that. It's Christmas Eve. <sighs> Can I help you? Yes. Hello. I, uh... I'm, I'm sorry. Maybe we have the wrong house. We were looking for Elizabeth Wexler. Larry, who is it? Is it the Fredericksons? Mrs. Wexler isn't here. I'd hate to hear it when she is. Will you tell Mrs. Wexler that we'd like to speak to her, please? Are you the Fredericksons? No. Then I take it you're weird religious people. I'm sorry, but those are the only two categories in play right now. Good night. Wait, we're not religious. I mean, Samantha is, kind of. I consider myself an agnostic. That is to say, I have a lot of questions. Don't we all? May we speak to Mrs. Wexler, please? It's extremely important. Hey, it's fine by me. But we're on our way to a Christmas party. And if you know Bess, you'll know that she lives for these kind of parties. They only come around once a year, after all. Except when they happen in spring, and they're called Easter parties. Or in another week, and they're called New Year's parties. Right. So would you mind terribly... And then, of course, all the old biddies throw birthday parties for themselves, too. 
Which is not fair, if you ask me. Since they've had so many replacement parts, it's impossible to give a single date of birth for any one of them anymore. Oh, and then there are the anniversary parties, which, as you can imagine, are a real hoot. Please, we've traveled a long way. It's important. It's... it's about her husband. I see. I am her husband. You are? I must be. I put up with so much. No, no, I'm sorry. We mean her other husband. Her other husband? Well, I I guess that does explain some things. All those long trips to the salon, I mean... I mean, no one could possibly need that many pedicures, could they? Mr. I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. Carred. Larry. You know, I think there's always been a part of me that's always suspected. Always known, but it's... It's so strange, because now that I hear you say it, I, I, I don't really feel anything. I'm like a block of ice. Mr. Cartwright, sorry to be unclear. This is about Mrs. Wexler's first husband. He's dead. He's been dead for years. Oh! Oh, well, that's fantastic news. Would you like to come in? Yes, thank you. Hey, no problem. It's the least I can do for the folks who killed off Bess's first husband. <laughs> Sit down, please. Cold out, isn't it? Where's Mrs. Wexler? She's putting her makeup on. She should be down in a few hours. A few hours? Isn't that how long it takes? I really have no idea. I know that it used to take Lon Chaney hours to get into his makeup, and I can't imagine Bess's transformation is any simpler. (laughs) Can I get you a drink? Something to warm you up. A a little Christmas cheer. Actually, that sounds fantastic. Sam? I'm fine. Are you sure it might make you feel a little steadier? I'm fine, Ted. Hear that, Ted? She's fine. <laughs> Looks like it's you and me. Here's a double. Thank you. <coughs> Attaboy. <laughs> so, here we are, huh? All waiting on best. Doesn't that just about sum it up? This is a <coughs> this is a beautiful home you have here, Mr. Cartwright. I realize that. So, Ted, what do you do in life? What's your profession, I mean? I'm a professor. (laughs) Your profession is a professor. How about that? A professor of what? Wait. Let me guess. History. No, actually. All right. Biology. No. Math. But one of the really hard kinds, like um, quantum physics or something. I guess by definition that would make me a physicist. But no. Ah. English. What gave me away? English! <laughs> That's great! Literature, huh? Like, uh, books and stuff. That's where a lot of it is, yes. You ever read any Dean Koontz? No, I haven't. Good for you! It's garbage! Gotta hate that guy. Larry! Who are you talking to down there? Just a couple of Christmas elves, dear. I'm sorry, miss. I certainly don't mean to ignore you. Your name is... Samantha. Hmm. Samantha, huh? Sam. Sam and Ted. Samantha and what? Theodore? Edward? Tedrick? Actually, it's, uh, Tedwardo. <laughs> <laughs> You're all right, Tedwardo. Here's to you. To both of you, in fact. Merry Christmas and all that BS. Okay, I'm ready. I cannot wait to show that ridiculous Donna Newsom how well this dress still fits me. Can you believe she ever had the gall to say... I beg your pardon. Larry, you didn't tell me we had guests? Sure I did. I just told you a second ago. Did you now? Absolutely. Remember when you hollered out, Larry, who are you talking to down there? 
And I explained that we had the good fortune of receiving a couple of visitors. You mean when I asked you a perfectly sensible question at a volume appropriate to the relative distance, and you bellowed back something silly and incomprehensible? Is that what you mean? You'll have to forgive my husband. His manners have been missing for several years. They got lost in a sea of alcohol and are presumed drowned. <laughs> At any rate, I, I certainly don't mean to be rude myself, but as you can see, we were just on our way out the door and... Mother? Excuse me? Mother, it's me. It's, it's Samantha. Larry, who is this person? Well, as I understand it, her name is Samantha. But Samantha is my... Daughter's name. Oh, oh my dear. Sit down, darling. Sit down. It's all right. Oh, I'm sorry. All of a sudden, I just feel it's so... It's all right. Lie back. I'll get you a drink. Here, she can have some of mine. No, no. That, that's the good stuff. You hold on to that, Ted Dwight. Samantha, is that really you? It's me, Mother. Don't you recognize me? Yes. Oh, yes. A mother always knows her children. What a surprise to see you, dear. Here you go, love. Bottoms up. Oh, oh yes, that's better. Oh, I'm feeling better. Now then, uh, you'll forgive me for being a little overwhelmed, Samantha, but I, I simply wasn't expecting to see you after so long. To what do we owe the pleasure? Mother, I... I have something I want to talk to you about. I don't know if it's important or not, but it seems like it may be. It's kind of a strange story, Mrs. Wexler. I'm so sorry, but who are you? Not some long-lost son, I hope, some vagrant child I've forgotten I birthed. If so, I beg you to consider coming back another time. One prodigal per day is my absolute limit. No, no, Mrs. Wexler. It's nothing like that. I'm Ted Robinson. I'm Samantha's partner. Partner? You mean like a gay couple? Larry, don't be ridiculous. What? Isn't that what they call it? Remember Debbie and Jody? Oh, Jody. She made the most amazing spinach alfredo sauce. Ted is my partner, Mother. He's your boyfriend, darling. Women have boyfriends. Debbie and Jody sure didn't. Boyfriend is just fine, Mrs. Wexler. Well, now, aren't you accommodating? That's a rare quality in a man. Heck, it's a rare quality in a human being. Why be so one-sided about it? Larry, please don't be misanthropic. No one likes a misanthrope. You are in the process of making a first impression on my long-lost daughter and her exceptionally accommodating boyfriend, and you are squandering an opportunity to fool them into respecting you. Okay, dear, okay. You folks, go on about your business and don't mind me. I'll just be over here enjoying a little Christmas cordial. <laughs> Ted, will you hand me my purse? Mother, I know this is all very sudden, and I apologize. I came because I wanted to show you something. Here, look at this. Why, it's a, a little snow globe. Samantha, dear, I appreciate the gesture, but I've been very particular about this house. I will not have it filled up with kitsch. I'm not giving it to you. I just want you to look at it. Oh, oh, of course. Well, how lovely. What do you see? I see some little people who appear to be underwater and a clump of extremely glittery snow. Mother, please. What? It's an honest answer. Is this a test of some kind? Am I receiving a grade? Oh, for God's sake. Look at the people in the snow globe, Mrs. Wexler. Look at what they're doing. All right. Well, let me see. It appears as though they're... Oh, why, they're caroling. I imagine that would be somewhat difficult underwater, but they seem to be making the best of the situation. But not all of them are caroling, are they? Well, no. There's a little girl in a red coat with an older man, presumably her father or her kidnapper. The two of them are holding hands and listening to the carols. Right. 
Right. And what does that mean to you? To me, dear? Not the slightest thing. Mother, I know this is going to sound strange, but hear me out, okay? Because I'm being serious. That girl in the red coat? That's me. Samantha, darling, are you speaking to me in metaphors? I find metaphors excruciatingly unhelpful. How would you feel if I told you that your current intentions are like a foreign language to me, and that you've lost me like an inept boy scout? It's a colorful way of speaking, I'll admit, but far too roundabout for my tastes. Not that it matters, but technically both of those examples were similes. Watch yourself, Ted. Watch yourself. It's not a metaphor, Mother. That girl in the red coat... That's me, and the man holding my hand is Dad. I'm sorry, darling. I don't know what you mean. I don't know exactly either. But listen, Ted and I were out the other day shopping, you know, for Christmas. After we've bought for everyone else, we like to go shopping together and pick out one gift for ourselves. Bess and I do that, too. Only she leaves me at home. We went into an antique store, a flea market, really, and I just happened to pick up this snow globe, and the memory... The memory just came flooding back. When I was little, maybe seven or eight, Dad took me out Christmas shopping. We went to the malls and all over downtown. We had dinner together at a restaurant with a striped awning. Dad let me order for myself, said I could have whatever I wanted. On the way home, we stopped in the street to listen to a group of carolers. It was early, but it had already gotten dark. It was cold out and just barely snowing. And the lights were everywhere, and the singing was so beautiful and... I looked up at some point and Dad was, well, he was crying. I, I asked him what was wrong and he said it was nothing, but I could tell that he was moved. And he put his arm around me and we just stood there for a long time, listening, together. Samantha, darling, it's a beautiful story. It really is. But we both know that your father never would have done anything like that. But don't you see, Mother? That's why I remember it. It was so out of character for him. It, it's one of the only times I can think of when he wasn't fighting with you or yelling or drinking or just playing gone. It was the one night, just a couple of hours, when the two of us were together and at peace. And we were really genuinely happy. I had forgotten I don't know how. Too many bad memories piled on top, I guess. But as soon as I picked up this snow globe, here it came. All of a sudden, I remembered the whole thing as vividly as if it had just happened. Well, well, all right, if you say so, Samantha. If it's true, then I'm happy for you. But you still haven't told me why you came all this way. We asked the woman at the antique store about the snow globe. Well, she couldn't tell us anything. I have no idea anymore where it came from said it had been sitting on that shelf for years, so Ted turns it over and... And? Well, Mrs. Wexler, on the bottom, on the underside of the base, there's a sticker with the manufacturer's logo. See? Right there. Winterland Memories. Right. Winterland Memories. And that's it. No location, no year, nothing. Just the name. So we bought the globe. It was a dollar fifty, and took it home, and we started doing some research, and it turns out that the world headquarters for Winterland Memories is here. Right here in town. I'm not sure I understand. Like I said, I'm not sure I do either. But, Mother, listen. Finding this snow globe in a store 800 miles away, seeing a scene I recognize from my own childhood, and finding a name that leads me back here for the first time in 15 years, I think it's a message. I think that somehow, 
Dad is trying to tell me something. Samantha, for heaven's sake, your father is dead. He's been that way for years, and I'm fairly certain it's permanent. Which, if I may repeat myself, comes as a serious relief to me. Oh, Larry, I'm sorry, darling. I'm sorry we've never really talked about him. You know I hate delving into past mistakes. I know, dear. We've got to save our energy for the mistakes of the present, isn't that right? But, Mother, are you sure he's dead? I mean, are you absolutely 100% sure? Of course I am, Samantha. I got a very nice letter from a hospital in New Mexico. It wasn't exactly ambiguous. Sometimes people make mistakes, Mrs. Wexler. That would be a fairly egregious one, if you ask me. I suppose there's some chance that a lifetime of drunkenness had no adverse effects on his liver, and that he faked his death in order to escape from the absolute dearth of people with any interest in him whatsoever. In that case, I picture him living a quiet but fulfilling life as a meatpacker in some charming little border town somewhere. Was there a funeral? I don't know if there was one or not. I, I had moved on by then. It was no longer my concern. See? That means it's at least possible. So is breast augmentation, dear, but that doesn't make it any less absurd. <clears throat> Look, I know it sounds crazy. Haven't I been saying that? But, Mother, that night, that night out in the snow with the carolers, it was like this exactly. That was the coat I was wearing. Those were the bags I was holding. That was the scarf that Dad had on. I even remember the caroler with the plaid cap and the other one with the long beard. It's much, much too similar to be a coincidence. Maybe you're just misremembering, dear. Like when Larry swears he's paid the light bill, and then the power cuts off in the middle of a particularly good television show. God, that happened one time, Bess. Besides, aren't you always telling me that candles are romantic? They're romantic when they're optional, dear, not otherwise. Well, if she is misremembering, Mrs. Wexler, then surely there's no harm to be done by looking into it, is there? Spoken like a true enabler, young man. But if I'm right... Of course you're not, dear. Dead men don't send coded messages through gaudy plastic trinkets. It's simply not the way the world works. That depends on which world you're living in. He has a point. I mean, if Jesus can show up in a piece of toast. And regardless, Samantha, regardless of whether or not it's true, you still haven't told me why you came here. Your father and I weren't even on speaking terms when he died. Surely you don't expect that I've made up with him posthumously? No, it's not that, Mother. Then what? Well... As you can imagine, Mrs. Wexler, we're just here to see if we can discover anything else. If this trail leads anywhere, or if it's just some weird dead end. All right. So? So, for one, we were hoping you could help us find it. Find the headquarters of Winterland Memories. Don't you have an address? No address, no phone number, no other information at all. I kind of doubt the place is even still around, but it's worth a look. Well, I can't say I know anything about it offhand... But Larry might. He used to drive a delivery truck before he stumbled into his current position as a corporate lapdog. Larry, dear, are you still with us? You haven't sailed off into some bourbon-colored sunset. I'm with you, darling. Does that ring any Christmas bells for you? Winterland memories? Hmm. You know, it just might. I feel like I used to pass the sign for it when I was driving out toward the airport. Or was that out toward Maryville? But that's not all, Mother. There's something else I need from you. Ah. Oh. I see. Is it money? It's money, isn't it? Samantha, dear, I thought I raised you with more pride than that. Imagine coming to your own mother after all this time and spinning such a ridiculous tale just to scare up a few dollars. Are you in trouble? 
You can tell me, dear. I'm not in trouble, Mother. What is it? Is it gambling? Oh, if it's gambling, I'll never forgive myself. I took you to that bingo night at the church, you know. I thought you'd sit quietly in the corner, but you knew your alphabet and you picked up on the rules, so I thought, oh, what possible harm could it do? It isn't money. I need to look through your photo albums. My photo albums? What for? We're hoping to find a picture of your former husband, Mrs. Wexler. Samantha has plenty of photos of her father. No, I don't. Nothing very recent, anyway. Samantha, honey, your father's been dead for more than ten years. A recent photo would look like a Halloween decoration. I don't have any photos of him, okay? Not anymore. You don't? What happened to them? They burned up. They burned up? How? I... I lit a match and held it underneath them. (laughs) You mean to tell me you destroyed every single picture you had of your father? That's what I'm telling you, yes. Why would you do such a thing? Look, Mother, this was a long time ago. I was going through a lot back then, okay? A lot of anger. A lot of resentment. It felt good. It felt like something that needed to be done. But Samantha, those photos were a part of your history. I know, At the time, I thought it would be better not to have any history. And now? Now it looks like there may be one little piece that's worth saving. But Listen, I'm not just looking for any picture of Dad, okay? I'm looking for a very specific one. And which one would that be? Somebody took a picture of us that night. Dad had a camera with him, and he asked somebody on the street to take a picture of the two of us together. I know it exists. I've seen it. If I can find that picture, with me in my red coat, holding those shopping bags, and Dad in that scarf... I can show you. All of you. And then maybe I can put the pieces of this thing together. I see. And that's it. That's all I want from you, okay, Mother? Directions and one old photo, and then I'll be out of your life again. Samantha, darling, please don't say that. I don't know what would make you say that. I'm very happy to see you again, dear. So you'll help me? Yes. Yes, of course I will. Great. Thank you. My photo albums are in the upstairs closet. Uh, Larry, please stay here and entertain this nice young gentleman. Surely the two of you can find something to talk about, some kind of generically masculine subject like sports or cooking things over a fire. Come along, Samantha. You know, it really is wonderful to see you again, dear. You look quite healthy. That's the most interesting choice of hairstyle. Mother, please don't start. Well. Well, so what do you... Shh. Listen. Notice how much quieter just got in here? <laughs> Let me freshen up that drink for you there, Ted. Thank you. So what do you think? About what? About the whole thing, about our story. I think it's nuts. What'd you expect? That's exactly what I expected, I guess. Here you go. Drink up. Thanks. <laughs> anyway, story or no, it sure is interesting to meet Bess's long-lost daughter. Does Bess ever talk about her? Not much. She lets something slip every now and then, you know? So I guess I had some idea. Sounds like she's pretty tight-lipped about her past. Would you brag about a vacation that you hated? Mm, Point taken. You see, Ted, Bess and I have something of a... an agreement. An unspoken rule about the past. She doesn't tell me about her dead ex-husband, her estranged daughter, or any other wild-eyed family members who may turn up unannounced on the eve of a holiday. In exchange... I don't tell her about my own kids, my extremely minor problems with the law, or my army of crazy ex-wives. Sounds like a fair trade. It works out okay for us. Anyway, Samantha seems like a nice girl. A little high-strung, maybe, but nice. 
It's just the situation. Usually she's a lot more laid back. She's a pretty remarkable person, actually. And how long have the two of you been together? When was the partnership formed, in other words? <laughs> oh, I guess it's been, what, seven or eight years now? You planning to marry her? Boy, someday I'll have a conversation where that doesn't come up. It's just a question. No, really, what difference does it make? Why is it so important to everybody that Sam and I handle our relationship exactly like they would? I didn't say that it was. I mean, what's so hot about marriage anyway? I think a guy with an army of crazy ex-wives would understand. <laughs> Ted, <laughs> take it easy. You two can join a cult of satanic swingers for all I care. I was just making conversation. Right. Sorry. And so, uh, how about you? How long have you and Bess been together? Married for about three years now. Three years, that's all? You look surprised. I guess I am. How come? I don't know, you just seem so... Happy? Broken. <laughs> well, you know, Bess and I have our own special way of interacting. Mm, so do vinegar and baking soda. <laughs> right you are, Ted, right you are. Another drink? Sure. Anyway, live and let live, I say. So long as you're both happy. Well, I wouldn't go that far. <clears throat> what do you mean? Look, I'll let you in on a little secret, Tedwardo. For me, it's all about the timing. See, marriage is like, well, let's say it's like a carousel. You have to know when to hop on, and you've got to know when to hop off. <laughs> sometimes you end up on a pony, sometimes a tigress. <laughs> That's right. And either way, if you stay on for too long, you're going to make yourself sick. <laughs> How often do you recommend hopping off the carousel, Larry? Oh, about every three years or so. Larry, I, uh... Hey, Ted. Come on, why the long face? It's Christmas Eve, remember? Have another drink! Uh... Larry, listen. I'm afraid I may have said something that made you... Ted, Relax. My life's got nothing to do with you, okay? Nothing. It's just that every now and again, once the shine's worn off and the bank accounts are all merged, a man's got to find some reason to drive off into the night and get himself lost. Sometimes for good. Larry, I can't imagine you would do something like that to Bess or to anyone. You can't? Come on, Ted. A man just doesn't luck into an army of crazy ex-wives. He's got to earn them. See what I mean? Larry, I... I wish you wouldn't... Oh, look. Don't you worry about a thing, Ted. Tonight is all about peace on Earth and goodwill toward men. In fact, I... Hey. What? What is it? Hey. Hang on a minute. I got it! Bess! Bess! I got it! about now? Are you passing another kidney stone? Are you giving birth? I just remembered where it is. The place. Winterland Memories. You did? Where? Ha! Okay. So back when I was a driver, there was this gentleman's club way out on Sycamore, right? Just past the train tracks. They had two girls out there named Holly and Ivy. And every year they do a Christmas show together. So one night, me and my buddies were on our way to the show, and I remember we saw that sign because we started joking about how we were going to make our own really special Winterland Memories that year. Good Lord, Larry. Once again, you've managed to take something pure and holy and submerge it in your own private cesspool. Sycamore just passed the train tracks. I know exactly where that is. Thank you. No problem. And hey, if you run into Holly or Ivy, 
You tell those girls I miss them. <laughs> they put on one heck of a show. Sam, if you know where that is, then maybe we can go by there in the morning. They'll be closed for Christmas, I guess, but we can at least see if the place is still in business. Okay. Okay, then. We're getting closer. Any luck finding that photo? Uh, not yet, but there are a lot of albums to go through. Is that right? <laughs> Sounds like you have a real thing for photos, Miss Let's Not Talk About the Past. I treasure my lifetime of memories and prefer to shield them from the likes of you. I don't see any contradiction. Well, maybe Ted and I should come up there and help you look. No, by all means. You two stay down here and continue to desecrate the Christmas holiday by associating it with exotic dances. Did you also know a stripper named Two Front Teeth? Or perhaps a Miss All Ye Faithful? Ted, are you holding up okay? At this rate, it may take us a few hours to go through everything. A few hours? I don't know, Sam. I mean, we should do whatever it takes, but if this glass keeps magically refilling itself, then I'll be dead asleep in ten minutes. I know. I'm tired, too. And we still need to find ourselves a hotel. A hotel? Oh, don't be ridiculous! You're staying here. We have plenty of space. Absolutely Sounds great. Not. Wonderful! It's settled, then. Larry, you and young Ted can be in charge of fixing up one of the guest bedrooms. Samantha, you come back upstairs with me, dear. The two of us still have an awful lot to sort through. Listening to Act One of Chatterbox Audio Theater's production of Snow Globe. Featuring Jennifer Henry as Samantha, Alan Busby as Ted, Anne Sharp as Bess, and Greg Bowler as Larry. Music by Catherine Whitfield and Robert Arnold. Produced by Eric Sefton. Written and directed by Robert Arnold. This is your announcer. Tom Badgett. Chatterbox Audio Theater is a nonprofit, web based community theater that advances the exchange of ideas by channeling creativity and artistic collaboration into recorded audio works that enlighten entertain, and inspire. Download all of our shows free at www.chatterboxtheater.org. And that was Snow Globe Part 1 by Chatterbox Audio Theater. More coming from these Memphis Audio Drama Masters next week. And uh, in the meantime, remember you can find over 150 hours of original audio drama programming at www.radiodramarevival.com. You can learn all about the latest news in audio drama by following us on Twitter. That's at Radio Drama. Or search Facebook for Radio Drama Revival. Also on iTunes, of course, Radio Drama Revival. Uh, that wraps it up for this week. Radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalge. Copyright of individual shows remains for the original producers, but do please share this show as far and widely as you like. Radio Drama Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM. Greater Portland, Maine's community radio is podcast at radiodramarevival.com as a labor of love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. Mm-hmm.